uh, in our study time in the Sunday School Hour to some lessons on the topic of witnessing, uh, sharing our faith, declaring the gospel with those around us. And as we mentioned, for the next four weeks, what we're going to take a look at is particular strategies for witnessing to particular groups. There are types of people that you will encounter while you're out knocking on doors or on the street or just going about your day and trying to speak up as a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first group that we'll start off with this morning would be the Jehovah's Witnesses. When you are witnessing, you will encounter Jehovah's Witnesses. It is unfortunate that many times they do a better job about witnessing than true Bible-believing Christians. Why do we not put them in the category of true Bible-believing Christians? We'll cover that here in just a moment. It was interesting. We were downtown on Friday afternoon during our activity, and we're holding signs on the street corner, passing out tracks to young ladies, walked by, offered them a track. They took it, and one of them said that she was Jehovah's Witness. Now, the fact that she took a tract was a clear indication she was not a practicing uh, Jehovah's Witness. I tried to get into conversation. We, we, we spoke for about 30 seconds, but as soon as the light changed, she was gone. So we didn't get to get into what we're going to cover this morning. We're only going to cover the first side of the handout. The back side you can take a look at at some other time. But after we read through this, I want to give you some verses to have uh, in your arsenal, to have ready um, when speaking to a Jehovah's Witness. Let's get a little bit of the history of where it came from. In 1870, at the age of 18, Charles Taze Russell started a Bible class in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. 1876, the class elected Russell as their pastor. He began publishing Herald of the Morning in 1879, which eventually developed in what is known today as the Watchtower Announcing Jehovah's Kingdom. 1884, Russell incorporated Zion's Watchtower Tract Society. He died in 1916, and Judge Rutherford took over the society's leadership. So during this time, the group took the name Jehovah's Witnesses, and society headquarters moved to Brooklyn. Rutherford died in 1942. They just sold some property in Brooklyn not long ago for a billion dollars. A billion. That's how many zeros is that? It's nine zeros, right? I shouldn't have said that because it's going to be wrong and I'm be embarrassed. Rutherford died in 1942. Nathan Knorr took control and boosted the membership to over 2 million. In 1961, the society published its own Bible version. Now, this is what they had to do. The Bible didn't line up with their doctrine. So they had to publish their own Bible to line up with what it is that they teach. And it's the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures. Today, under leadership of Milton Henschel, the Watchtower Organization's volunteer force has grown to over half a million faithful and discreet slaves, has established mission works in over 250 different countries. Whenever we get to a mission field, we almost always find Jehovah's Witnesses are already there. Shame on us. They founded Watchtower branches in over 100 nations around the world. An overview of their beliefs, we'll get to the doctrines that they deny. We'll talk about how to witness to those that are caught up in this religion. JWs believe there is one God who lives in heaven somewhere near the planet Pleiades and is known by the name Jehovah. At some point in time, Jehovah created a secondary God known in the heavens as Michael the Archangel. Okay, so no trinity, only one God. And it's not that we believe in three gods. We believe that 
one God is revealed in three persons. No, Jehovah's Witnesses, one God, one person. He then created another God, and that God's name was Michael. And then Jehovah directed Michael to create the universe. When Jesus was to be born on the earth, the life force of Michael, this is Jehovah's Witness belief, this is not Bible, make sure we, we clearly understand that. This is not what the Bible says, this is what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. When Jesus was born on the earth, the life force of Michael was transferred to the baby Jesus. So who is Jesus? He's Michael the archangel in human form. And Michael the archangel being a god that Jehovah created. At the age of 30, Jesus began his ministry. Only then did he become Jesus Christ. Three years later, he was crucified on a stake, not on a cross. Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe in the cross. He died and was buried in a tomb. While there, his body dissolved into gases and disappeared forever. The life force, however, was transferred back to Michael in heaven. So Jesus, according to this, no longer exists, at least not bodily. It's just the life force of Michael is back in heaven. A few days later, Michael materialized in a body and appeared to the disciples. This spirit body was made to look like Jesus so the disciples would know that he had been resurrected shortly thereafter. He returned to heaven where he remained until his invisible return in 1874. They later changed that to 1874. 14, and today, every JW anxiously anticipates Jesus' final return at Armageddon. They have often set dates for that return. That, that's the reason why the invisible return. They had predicted Jesus would come back in 1874. He didn't come back. They said, whoops, we meant invisibly. Okay, And uh, throughout their history, uh, that's happened over and over, over again. 1874, 1879, 1914, 1925, 1940s, 1975. Year 2000, they now believe Armageddon could take place any day, uh, kind of like the imminent return by default. They warned that those who are not members of the organization will have no hope of surviving. Following Armageddon, 144,000 JWs who were most obedient and devoted will dwell with Jehovah in heaven, while those who are obedient and devoted enough to survive Armageddon will dwell on the earth, where to be their responsibility, continue to obey the rules of 144,000, as well as declare the Watchtower message to those who, because they never heard it the first time around, be resurrected during the millennium. Failure to obey the 144,000 or receive the Watchtower message at any time will result in immediate annihilation. Uh, not hell, you'll just cease to exist. The thousand years will culminate with the rebellion and annihilation of Satan. Those who survive will enter eternity forever subject to the rules of 144,000 that reign with Jehovah in heaven. The trademark verse is Psalm 83:18, where the Bible says that men may know that thou whose name alone is Jehovah are the most high over all the earth. Now, the way that they read that verse is that his only name is Jehovah. But that's not what the verse says. It says that his name alone is Jehovah. Nobody else is known by that name. Nobody else can claim that name. God has many names in Scripture. It's very, very uh, easy to show. Um, however, they rest this scripture to teach Jehovah is God's only name. Ignore, lamely explain away the fact the Old Testament clearly attributes several others to him, like Jah, I am, I am that I am, God Almighty, Lord God, jealous, holy, etc. Now, I didn't just I didn't just make this up. I at at the time that I studied for this lesson several years ago, I had read every piece of literature that's available at JW. Dot org. I got this straight from their teachings. Um, 
And it's it's interesting. <clears throat> the, the the last several encounters I have had with Jehovah's Witnesses who are out with their stands. Have you seen them with a stand, uh, a literature rack, maybe at um, maybe at the county government building or street corner or even like the race when we went to Daytona? Last several times I have attempted to speak to a JW. They wouldn't answer any questions. They wouldn't engage in conversation. They said, you can go to our website at jw.org and read all about it there. And I said, I already have, but can you answer this question? And uh, many of them were unwilling, unable, or uninterested. But here's what you need to know. Jehovah's Witnesses deny. We're on your uh, bulletin now, the outline on the back of your bulletin. Jehovah's Witnesses deny the Trinity. They deny the Trinity. We believe that God one God manifest in three persons. Uh, there, there are three that bear record in him. First John 5, 7, the Father, the Word, Holy Ghost. These three are one. Trinity, tri, unity. We believe in the Trinity because the Bible teaches the Trinity. Jehovah's Witnesses deny the Trinity. They deny the deity of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus Christ was God himself manifested in a body of human flesh. They deny the deity of of Jesus Christ. They deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus, like his body dissolved into gases and then the life force went back to Michael. No, no, no. The, the Bible says that he got up in the same body that he went into the grave in, and he's coming back in that same body. This same Jesus shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go. The Bible says, 1 Timothy 2 5, one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, still a man, the man, Christ. Jesus. So they deny the bodily resurrection, but the Bible teaches it. They deny the literal second coming of Jesus Christ. There was an invisible return way back in 1874. Armageddon is coming any day now. They deny the literal second coming of Jesus Christ. They deny a literal burning hell. A literal burning hell. They just teach that those who don't get to enter into the kingdom, will be annihilated. They will cease to exist. And Jehovah's Witnesses deny eternal salvation by grace through faith without works. Uh, they, uh, they're, they're witnessing their door-to-door, their um, evangelism, and their lifestyle. It's all, it all plays a part in their salvation. Now, what I want to do is just look at four different sections, four different avenues, four different... Um, ways that we can um, approach Jehovah's Witness. And what I like to do is, is ask questions. Remember, a uh, really good way to start and to continue and to guide and direct a conversation is learning to ask the right kind of questions. And there are some questions I like to ask Jehovah's Witnesses based on these scriptures. Let's go to them. Isaiah 43 with me, please. Isaiah chapter number 43. Uh, we said that their key verse is Psalm 83:18. This is this is the passage from which they take their name. Jehovah's Witnesses lay claim to Isaiah 43 and verse number 10. And so let's read that together. Isaiah 43 and verse number 10. And the Bible says, "Hear my witnesses, saith the Lord, that you see, you see how Lord is all capital letters, all capital letters. That's Jehovah." God. In the Hebrew, that's Yahweh. That's the tetragrammaton. I believe they call it four consonants together. But that is that 
it, it, in the New World Translation, every time the King James Bible says, Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, New World Translation would say Jehovah. So it's very clear who we're talking about here. You are my witnesses, say the Lord, and my servant who I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, now, now listen to this statement in the verse that they claim, because you are my witnesses. They say, that's us. We are Jehovah's witnesses. You are my witnesses, say the Lord. In the verse, before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Now hold that place and come to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Uh, just, just hearing what they teach and just reading that verse, I mean, do you not see a contradiction John chapter 1, verse number 1. This is a great passage on the nature of the person of Jesus Christ, his divine nature and his human nature, all wrapped up into one. But John is a book that is written with the focus of showing the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is God, and we might believe through his name. But John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see how the Word is capitalized. It designates a person. It's the second person of the Godhead. It is Jesus Christ, and Jesus was in the beginning. John 1, 1 matches up with Genesis 1, 1. And the Bible says, When the beginning was, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here's what the New World Translation does in John chapter 1, verse 1, without any underlying manuscript evidence. The, the Greek manuscripts that underlie the New Testament, none of them do what the New World Translation does. The New World Translation in the verse says, and the word was a God. It, to, to fit with that teaching that Jehovah created a secondary God, Michael later became Jesus and used him to create the universe. New World Translation says the word was a God. The problem is that it's a direct contradiction of Isaiah 43.10. Because Isaiah 43.10 says, Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. And so the question that I like to ask is, how can Jesus Christ be a God created by Jehovah if Isaiah 43.10 clearly states there is no God formed after Jehovah or before Jehovah, do you see the question? It's a question that I like to ask at least to get them thinking about the very foundational principles of their religion. In addition to that, look at verse number 11, Isaiah 43, verse number 11. I, even I, am the Lord. You see how that's four capital letters, right? in a row, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, I, even I, am the Lord. This is Jehovah speaking, and beside me, there is no Savior. That is a very clear statement that the one and only Savior is Jehovah, is it not? Beside me, there is no Savior. Now, with that, look at Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter number 1, verse number 3, end of the verse, according to the commandment of God, our Savior. Titus chapter 1 and verse 
Number three, according to the commandment of God, our Savior. Now, that's consistent. Jehovah is God. God is Jehovah. But look at verse number four. To Titus, my own son, of the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, 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 now wait a second. Isaiah 43, 11 said, Jehovah is the only Savior. But Titus chapter 1, verse 4 says that Jesus Christ is the Savior. And a little mathematical calculation, little logic here this morning. Remember this, if A equals C and B equals C, then A equals B, right? So if Jehovah is the Savior, Jehovah A, Savior C, and Jesus B is the Savior C, then Jesus equals, I'm sorry, Jehovah equals Jesus, Jesus equals Jehovah. If they're both the Savior, then they're both the same, one and the same. Co equals, how can Jesus Christ be the Savior in Titus 1.4 if there is no other Savior beside Jehovah in Isaiah 43.11? It is possible because Jesus Christ is Jehovah. He's equal with Jehovah God. Now we could look at each chapter of the book of Titus and see the same statements uh, just like we saw in chapter number 1, in chapter 2, verse 10, God our Savior, in chapter 2, verse 13, Jesus Christ is the Savior in chapter 3, verse 4. God is the Savior in chapter 3, verse 6. Jesus Christ is the Savior. So the very passage, Job's Witnesses are very familiar with Isaiah 43, 10, and 11, but it contradicts their teaching, and it's helpful to be able to point that out. Now come to Revelation chapter 1. I love using this passage, Revelation chapter 1. And let's identify the speaker in the passage, Revelation chapter 1, and verse number 8, Revelation 1, 8. I am Alpha and Omega. Those are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending saith the Lord, which is and which was, which is to come, the Almighty. And so I'll turn to this passage and I'll read it with a Jehovah's Witness and I'll ask, who is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, Lord God Almighty? And they will say, this is Jehovah, verse number 11, same speaker saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the first and and the last, verse number 17. Let's see if it's still the same person speaking. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying to me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Okay, so whoever's speaking in Revelation 1, Alpha and Omega, beginning and ending, Lord God Almighty, first and last. And we don't have to guess about who this is. Because let's turn to Isaiah, hold Revelation 1, turn to Isaiah 44. Isaiah chapter 44. This is one of many places to which we could turn. But Isaiah 44. Should have had you keep Isaiah 43 a second ago. Sorry. Isaiah 44. And verse number 6. Isaiah 44 and verse number 6. Thus saith the Lord. All capital letters. Thus saith the Lord. Jehovah God. 
the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Isaiah 44, 6. I am the first and I am the last and beside me there is no God. It's very similar to the verse we just read in Isaiah 43, 10. But in Revelation 1, when this speaker says, I am the first and I am the last, Isaiah 44, 6 says, that is Jehovah God. Do you see that connection? Very clear, okay? Back to Revelation 1, verse number 17 again. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He laid his right hand upon me, saying to me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. This is not a period. This is not a complete sentence. This is not a final statement. There's a colon at the end of the verse. The, the, the statement continues into verse 18. The same speaker then says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. So whoever this Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, Almighty God, first and last, whoever that is, they lived and they died. You see that? Now, if Jehovah is the first and the last, here's the question I like to ask a Jehovah's Witness. When did Jehovah die? And all of us know the answer to that question. God died when Jesus laid down his life on the cross. 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. This passage is inconsistent with the Jehovah's Witness doctrine that says Jehovah and Jesus are separate. That Jehovah is the one true God who created a secondary God, Jesus. But Jesus is the one who died on a cross. We'll even give them that he died on a torture stake if they want to say that. But the fact is that Jesus died and rose again. But the speaker in Revelation 1 who says, I am he that liveth and was dead, also claims to be Jehovah. We're back to our equation. <laughs> if Jehovah is the first and the last, and Jesus is the first and the last, then Jesus is Jehovah. You see that? Revelation 1. Read the passage. Who is speaking? What does he say? When did Jehovah die? Come to Hebrews chapter 1. Next section, two more. Hebrews chapter 1. These all focus, obviously, on the deity of Jesus Christ. We'll get to one that's a little more... Uh, focused on salvation here in just a minute. But Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 1. Hebrews 1, verse 1. Let's see if we can identify who is speaking. God, first word. Who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory, express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Now that's a quotation of an Old Testament verse. It's Psalm 2 and verse number 7. We're not going to look there right now, but I just want to ask, 
who is the one who says, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee? That, that would obviously be the father. That would be who Jehovah's Witnesses would call distinctly Jehovah. Okay, God the Father is speaking in verse number 5. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Who's speaking, the father or the son? The father. Verse number six, and again, when he bringeth the first begotten in the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. Okay, so who's speaking in verse number six? It, it, it's God the Father. It's Jehovah. In verse seven, of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. The cross reference there is Psalm uh, forty, Psalm 104 and verse number four. And the speaker in Psalm 104, verse 4, is Jehovah, capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah God. So the speaker from verse number 4 to verse number 7 is very clearly established to be Jehovah God, verse number 8. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of of thy kingdom. It's really interesting in Hebrews chapter 1 that God the Father, Jehovah God, calls the Son, capital G, God. Now, in the New World Translation in John 1.1, 1, 1, remember the Word was in the beginning and the Word was a little g, lowercase g, God. A secondary God created by Jehovah. But in Hebrews chapter 1, Jehovah God looks at the Son and says, thy throne, O God. And if the Father calls the Son God, then I'm going to do the same thing. Okay? So in Hebrews chapter 1, the Father calls the Son God, and that's uh, very important to be able to uh, point out when you're trying to witness to a Jehovah's Witness. You need to bring that passage all the way into verse number 8. Now, here we go, John chapter 3. John chapter 3. It's really the most important direction to go when you're trying to witness to a member of the Watchtower organization because here's what they claim. They claim that all of the... Here's, here's how we normally witness. Back up for a second. Here's how we, a lot of times we witness. Are you 100% sure that you're going to heaven when you die? On a scale of 1 to 10, how sure are you that you're going to heaven when you die? If you could say you're 50, 75, or 100% sure, which would you say? How sure are you... You're going to heaven when you die. And the Jehovah's Witness rejects that because they teach that the spots in heaven are already filled. Limited capacity. The 144,000 we read about in Revelation 7 and Revelation 14, we studied in the prophecy class, those 144,000 represent all of the people who are able to live in heaven. That's, that's, that's all of the spots that are there. Everyone else is going to live on the earth in Christ's kingdom. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses teach. So here's the question I'd like to ask. Show me a verse from the Bible that tells me what I need to do to enter the kingdom of God. Of God, I'm, I'm not even going to argue about the heaven versus earth thing. I'm not even going to argue about the 144,000 spots already being taken thing. I just want you to show me from the Bible, from the scripture, what I have to do, specifically stated that I have to do to enter into the kingdom. 
Okay? Because there's only one place in the New Testament that makes that clear statement. And here's what they'll do. They'll turn to all the verses that they use. They love to turn to Matthew 28, 19, uh, where Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always. And that's a great passage. And that's what we're supposed to do. But that passage says nothing about a guarantee that you'll get into the kingdom if you do it. Right? Does that make sense? They love to turn to John chapter 17, that this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. It's a wonderful verse. It's an excellent verse. It's a great verse. I believe the verse. The verse says nothing about entering the kingdom if I do it. Here is a verse which very clearly states what a person must do to enter into God's kingdom. John chapter 3, verse number 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time to his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He explains it in verse 6, That which is born of the flesh, water is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit, Spirit is Spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, Ye must be born again. What must one do in order to enter the kingdom of God? The only thing the Bible clearly states is necessary and clearly attaches to entering that kingdom is being born again. The new birth is the only way to enter God's kingdom. Follow-up question. How can I be born again? It, it, it's really clear from the Bible the only way to be born again, or the only way to get in the kingdom is to be born again. So let's ask and answer from the Bible. Again, I want to see it in the verse. How can I be born again? In the rest of John chapter 3, verse number 16, God so loved the world, gave his only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, have everlasting life. But I want to see it in the verse, what I've got to do to be born of the Spirit. Look at John chapter 1, verse 12. They'll turn to some passages and they'll read some scriptures, but none of the ones that they read will ever reference the new birth or clearly attach themselves to being born again. And so I just keep saying, that's a great verse, but it doesn't tell me how to get born again. How, how do I get born again so I can enter God's kingdom? John chapter 1, verse 12. I let them go for a while, then I'll turn here. John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. Even of them that believe on his name. So receiving Jesus Christ is believing on his name. It makes you a child of God. It sounds like we're tracking in the right direction. Right? Verse 13 nails it down. Which were born. Which were born. Not of blood, physical. Not of the will of the flesh, physical. Nor of the will of man, physical. But of God. In verse number 13, we have a new birth, which is not a physical birth. It is a spiritual birth, which takes place when someone receives Jesus Christ by believing on his name. How can they enter the kingdom? John 3, get born again. How can I get born again? John 1, 12 and 13, believe on Jesus Christ. Christ says nothing about the life that I have to live, the prayers I have to pray, the amount of church services I have to attend, the number of doors I have to knock on, the pieces of literature I have to hand out. Now we're all for doing those good things, 
but none of those things make me born again. The only thing that can give me a new birth is believing on Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15. Again, I want verses that specifically reference the new birth and tell me how to be born again. 1 Corinthians 4, verse number 15. First Corinthians 4.15, For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you. You see the birth reference there? I, Paul, have begotten you. That is obviously not physical. Paul is a biological male. Right? A woman is a man with a womb. Paul is a man. No womb. <laughs> not, not, not scientifically real. You understand, woman. That was just okay. I saw some spinning taking place when I said that. I, Paul, I have begotten you through the gospel. Well, how does the new birth take place? The gospel has to be involved. What's the gospel? First Corinthians fifteen three and four. Christ died for our sins, buried and rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Romans 1.16, how, how is the power of the gospel to grant the new birth activated? Romans 1 and verse number 16. Let's look at these final two verses really quickly. Romans 1.16. The Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. God's only requirement is the one requirement that everyone can meet. Everyone can believe, exercise their God-given faith in the person of Jesus Christ, in the work that he accomplished. The Bible sums all that up in the term gospel, the good news that Christ died for our sins, buried, rose again, according to the scriptures. This, the, the gospel is the power of God and salvation to everyone that Believe it. Look at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. We're familiar with verses 9 and 10 and 13. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in the heart, God that raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made to salvation. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse number 15, how should they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them preach the gospel of peace, bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, okay? So here's where the Jehovah's Witnesses will want to jump on board. See, you have to obey the gospel. You have to do things. You have to be obedient. You have to live a good life. What does the Bible say is obeying the gospel? In verse 16, this is important we understand this. For they have not all obeyed the gospel for, the verse is not finished, it's about to explain, it's about to define the terms. For Isaiah saith, this is Isaiah 53, 1, Lord who hath believed our report. Okay, how do you get born again? How do you enter the kingdom? You get born again. How do you get born again? The gospel. What do you have to do with the gospel to get born again? Obey the gospel. What does it mean to obey the gospel? Uh, verse number 16, for Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? How do you obey the gospel? You believe it. You believe it. You trust it. You place your faith 
in Jesus Christ. You depend on what he did, not what you do, have done, will do, going to do, promise to do. No, 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 no. Obey the gospel by believing on Jesus Christ, receiving Jesus Christ. John 1.13 says you'll be born again. John 3 says you'll enter the kingdom of God. All the verses that they use as their salvation plan never tells you if you do this, you'll enter God's kingdom. I'd like to go to the passages in the Bible that say, if I do this, I will enter into God's kingdom. So those are some verses. Those are some questions you can have ready uh, when you encounter a Jehovah's Witness while you're out proclaiming the gospel. Lord, help us. Father, thank you for the truth. Thank you for the person, Jesus Christ. Thank you for what he did for us on the cross, Lord. And uh, God, uh, help us, Father, to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh us a reason the hope that sent us with meekness and with fear. Give us boldness. God, give us courage. Lord, give us a burden. God, break our hearts for the lost around us. Uh, Lord, lost religious people, they believe that you exist, Lord, but they've been led astray. Their minds have been blinded, uh, Lord, by false teaching, false doctrine and error. Help us, Lord, to bring them to the light. Help us to care. Help us to have compassion. I pray that you bless now in the preaching hour, and we love you. In Jesus' name.